property. Dear Lord, we thank you for the fact we can gather. Thank you for grace. Thank you for freedom in, in your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for everything you've done for us. And may we open our minds and hearts to study the Bible and understand what you've said and believe it and grow thereby. Thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, this morning, we are back in the book of Acts, and we're dealing with Luke-Acts as the two-volume work, and the issue that we started dealing with last week was this conflict between the customs of the Jews in the early days between uh, actually before the time of Christ and during as far as exorcists we're going to run into these itinerant Jewish exorcists and also there's pagan versions of this as well that we'll run into as we go through Acts and what we're going to see is that the ability to manipulate the world of the spirits in the ancient world was worth a lot of money. In fact, when they sell their magical works, which we'll probably not get to until next week, that text, they, they end up with 50,000 pieces of silver. And I've been studying this very carefully. And even today in some circles, people are making a lot of money by claiming to have power to learn how through technology or spiritual knowledge to manipulate the world of the spirits. Now, the claim that I've made consistently since I learned better from my earlier days when I thought in similar ways to these others is that the only way out is through transfer from the domain of darkness into the a domain of Christ, the authority of his son. And that those who are thus delivered from the realm of darkness have direct access to the throne of grace and their freedom is in God, not through techniques, authority, talking to demons, manipulating demons, or learning different things. That is the key. So what I have now, we covered this a little bit last week, but I have something now that I can cite for you to help show what world they were in and what it was like. So let me just go for my notes. I have this printed as well. Unless my cursor has disappeared once for all. Cursor, where are you? All right, so I got real notes. This is Josephus, often cited, and he spoke about, as from a Jewish perspective, what was happening in the, the world of the Jews. So here we have Acts 19.13. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists. What's an exorcist? Anybody know? They cast out demons. They cast out demons. They're, they're professional... Um, people who get the demons out and they do very well financially doing so in some cases. So um, 
they heard Paul and bringing freedom through the name of Jesus and doing mighty deeds and so on. We've talked about that. So they assume, as was commonly believed, that the key to freedom from Satan and demons was knowing the names of whatever spirits were afflicting various people. And when they saw what happened, they believed that somehow the name Jesus um, was the key to freedom, not realizing that it was a relationship with Christ through faith that brought freedom and the signs that God did through the apostles demonstrated that there was such a thing as freedom and not the type that was offered before by these professionals, these itinerant. So they undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Now notice how Luke tells us this, and then I'll we'll go to the next slide here, and I'll go back and read about how that worked. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. Kind of a bad outcome. <laughs> now, this is in the Bible for a reason, and I'll try to uh, show you what that reason is based on the entirety of Luke Acts as a single narrative in two volumes. This, there's previews of this throughout Luke, and I hope we can do justice to this. So let me read a background that most scholars cite when this narrative is mentioned, and that's this statement was, that's found in Josephus, the Jewish historian, and I'll read from Josephus, complete works of Josephus, and here's what he said about this. God also enabled him to learn that skill which expels demons. But they, they claim that this, by the way, was taught by Solomon. Solomon, evidently, in their belief, had a skill about how to expel demons, and that that had been passed on. So let me read more from Josephus. That skill which expels demons, which is a science useful and sanitive to men. He composed such incantations also by which distempers were alleviated, and he left behind him the manner of using exorcisms by which they drive away demons so that they never return. This is according to Josephus. And this method of cure is of great force unto this day, says Josephus. For I have seen a certain man of my own country, whose name was Eliezer, releasing people that were demoniacal in the presence of Vespasian and his sons and his captains, as Josephus says this, and the whole multitude of his soldiers. The manner of cure was this. Now, this is how Josephus said Solomon taught Jewish 
exorcist to function so that it works. Here's what he says. Here's the manner. Quote, he put a ring that had a root of one of those sorts mentioned by Solomon to the nostrils of the demoniac, after which he drew out the demon through his nostrils. And when the man fell down immediately, he abjured him to return into him no more, making still mention of Solomon and reciting the incantations which he composed. So let me stop there. This is Josephus. This material is extant and contemporary, all right? So they believed that if you did it right and you had the right words and the right incantations, there's a science to this that involved a ring, certain things, and certain words, and these were recited, and they claimed that they had pretty good success with this. And I want to talk to you about the difference between incantations and faith in Christ, who alone has all authority to deliver people. And that's the point of Luke X. Now, they, they have these chapters, are, are, this is called 48, but it's just a sentence or two. Continuing, and when Eliezer would persuade and demonstrate to the spectators that he had such power, he set a little way off a cup or a basin of water, commanded the demon as he went out of the man to overturn it, and thereby to let the spectators know that he left the man. So he puts in the ring, the roots, the incantations, here's the water. If the demon really goes out, it turns over without anybody being near the cup. So therefore they knew that this was indeed Solomon's wisdom and they had such power. In chapter 49, and when this was done, the skill and wisdom of Solomon was shown very manifestly, for which reason it is that all men may know the vastness of Solomon's abilities and how he was beloved of God, and that the extraordinary virtues of every kind with which the king was endowed may not be unknown to any people under the sun. For this reason, I say it is that we have proceeded to speak so largely in these matters. So we know from history that what Luke is telling us is very reasonable. This isn't mythology or some strange thing that showed up. There were people practicing these things who had a certain amount of success, evidently, and they had a process. And so one thing that scholars have mentioned is it appeared to them that Paul maybe even have something going for him that Solomon didn't. Go, uh, go ahead, uh, uh, Brian. In Mark, when Jesus put the demons into the swine, uh, it says that nobody could get the demons out of the is, guy. Isn't that in Luke chapter 8? Uh, I think... In the Gerizines? Uh, Mark. Mark 5. I thought it was Luke 8. Somebody look and see if they can find the story of Legion. I think it's in Luke. Well, here's demons are cast into swine. This is Mark 5, 1 through... One through four is what I'm going to reference. I, I'm but anyway... Inter I'm interested in the Luke account because we're studying oh, the Luke X. Okay. 
Okay, but, but it did happen. Yes. Yeah, but my point is that nobody, nobody could get the nobody. People tried to get the demons out, so I'm assuming it was you know other people using certain techniques. But then the 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 interesting thing is when Jesus came out of the sea and came walking up there, he didn't even say anything, and and the demon. The, the demon-possessed guy came up to Jesus bowing down. So, uh, uh, obviously, the demon knew the power of Christ. Oh, absolutely. Because this goes back to a lot of other things that not everybody's uh, probably seen what we've written about. But the divine counsel worldview, you have the Job, you have Ahab, and the spirit that becomes the light spirit in the mouth of the prophets. But there's no doubt that the Bible shows that God has authority over all things, including Satan and demons. Eric, you want to comment on this at all? No. No, okay, you don't have to then. <laughs> he doesn't like demons. He wants to stick with Matthew. I know uh, what you're thinking. Uh, but yeah, I'm preaching. I'm so zoned into what I'm going to preach you. I like to keep focused. So go I'm ahead. sorry. One thing I was thinking of is in John 17 when Jesus does pray that the Heavenly Father would keep us from the evil one. And that's, oh, a, yeah. that's a prayer that God answers. And that's what Bob has been teaching. If you look at the writings that Bob had in his CIC articles, what we need is not exorcism, but a domain transfer going from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of the beloved son. Once we're in the camp of the beloved son, God honors that prayer of Jesus, the high priestly prayer, where we are preserved forevermore. We will never, ever go back to the camp of Satan. And so that's what we need, as Bob's been teaching for a lot of years now. We need domain transfer, not just symptom relief. Turn to uh, someone, go, to, uh, 20, go ahead, uh, Joy. Luke 8, 26 is the verse we're looking for. I can comment on it. I've written several articles about this and done some radio on this. And it's amazing how much money leaves the hands of Christians paying Christian exorcists to deliver them. And the claims that are made by many uh, Christian prophets and apostles, especially some that are traveling or even Bob Larson, really puts them more in the camp of these sons of Sceva than anything that's truly Christian. Luke 8, 26, what's that about? It says, and they... Hold on, here comes the mic. And they put in at the country of the Gerasenes, which mm -hmm. is opposite Galilee. And after he had disembarked, they, there met him a certain man out of the city having demons, who for a long time had not put on himself any clothing. And he was not living in a house, but in the tombs. And having seen Jesus and raising a cry from the depths of his throat, he prostrated himself before him and with a great voice said, What is there in common between me and you, Jesus, Son of God, the Most High God? I beg of you, do not begin to torment me. Okay, that's far enough. It goes on, uh, and then eventually it's legion, and, and the demons want to go into the swine, then they go down into the sea. And so in the bigger scheme of Luke, it's amazing because this is a worst-case scenario. This is the most horrible, evil, wicked situation that anyone could think of. First of all, they're in Gentile territory because they had gone over 
to the land of the Gerizim. So this is in Gentile territory. I'll get to this probably next week. Secondly, he's in a cemetery. Evil, unclean, okay? Chained up. Everything that you can imagine. The worst case scenario, just utterly horrible bondage. Gentile, cemetery, the legion, demons, all of this stuff. And in the bigger narrative of Luke, actually you see Jesus is already doing things that shows he has authority over things they all feared. He calmed the water. He, he, he has, a, who is this man? Who even the sea obeys him. They're afraid of the sea. What does it say in Revelation? In the end, there's no more sea. The sea was evil. That's where you go into the abyss and die. You don't want to go there. You didn't, in those days, you didn't take a, a nice cruise because it was fun to go out and, and have a cruise to see the islands because if you died at sea, they, had, they thought that, was, that would probably be the end. So what's the comfort? The sea gives up the dead. Those that believe, you're not, you're not eternally lost because you died at sea, but they, were, they didn't want to die at sea. They were afraid. Who is this man? So here in, the, in Luke, it's the worst thing anyone could imagine. There's no way man could do this. There's no magical name. There's no process. There's no science. There's no technique. But only God could do it. Now, I think I made a slide for this, but I'm not sure if I got it still here. No. Oh, yes, I did. Look at Luke 8, 39. There it is. I was working on this. I'll give you a preview. So you might want to come back to Sunday school. Luke 8, 39. After he is delivered and in his right mind, this doesn't happen. Chained in the cemetery, totally no one dare get close to him or he'd kill them. Okay? Demons. Where do they go? Into the swine. Now, are the swine unclean? As far as the Jews are concerned? Yes. The swine full of demons go into the sea. Well, it doesn't get any worse than that. And now, what happens to the man? Well, they didn't ask him for more money so they can have another session. Because <laughs> he didn't have any money anyhow. He said, Luke 8, 39, return to your house. He wanted to follow Jesus, which is a good thing in Luke Acts. But in this case, here is a man who just before that was a demon-possessed maniac chained in the cemetery, horrible condition. And Jesus said, no, you go tell. So here, if he can go tell the great things and mighty deeds of God, do you suppose we can? That's the point. If God will send this demon-possessed Gentile to tell his own people the mighty deeds of God, this is a preview in Luke of what God is doing in Acts. So the preview is there. What happens later, look at Acts 19.18. I'm giving you a preview for whenever I get to this. This is a slide that you don't have in your outline. Look at this. After the thing happens with Sceva and... It says many of those who had believed kept coming, confessing, disclosing their practices, and then they, they end up selling the, their magic. Why did they sell their magic books? Because they don't need them. They know Christ. Do you know that Christians make millions of dollars selling books that are no different than these? That people are saying, you got to name, you got to find the gatekeeper demon. 
You got to get his name. You got to tell them these things. You got to tell the demon and ask them to tell you who, what his name is and who's under him. And then there's this process, and then you go back. And uh, some people will charge three or four thousand dollars a session. And we have paganized Christians out there teaching. This teaching is more like Josephus and the sons of Sceva than about anything that's in, in the Bible here. That's the point now. He said, go. And so look at, return to your home and describe what great things God has done for you. And look at what happened. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what, the, what great things Jesus had done for him. I got an email. Uh, I get these emails that I keep track of Todd Bentley and his material because he does similar things. The claim by uh, many people is that this is a process. It's sort of like kicking the enemies. I used to hear this and uh, believe it, and to my shame, they would take one by one when Israel went into the, prom- into the promised land, they're told that you won't be able to take over in one day. So you got to get the demons out or the, the enemies out, the false gods, a little by little by little. And that was our playbook for counseling people to get the demons out. But this isn't what it says. So here's a guy witnessing. Is that something? Go ahead, Joy. I, I was thinking about the, the description of the house being emptied out and seven words coming back. My own experiences with deliverance ministry. And I wasn't delivered from the kingdom of darkness into light. I had a little reprieve, and then they came back. And that's why they keep on, that's how they can keep on doing this business because nobody ever gets delivered from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. They just get swept out and then they come back and they have to get more okay, deliverance. That's a good one. Now, that one I also have material on. The house, by the way, there is probably not talking about an individual, but it's talking about Israel. Oh, Ron over here. Uh, they, thank you, Mark. I think, now, Eric, if you I studied this recently. The house there isn't a person. It's an analogy about Israel rejecting Messiah. Okay? And so Jesus comes, does all these mighty deeds, provides a way of escape, and they say, no, I don't think so. And to know and see what God can, can do and has done and not serve him isn't going to make it better. Now, I've written about this some decades ago, but go ahead, Ron. The house is still empty. The house is still empty until you're serving Christ. And that doesn't mean we don't still have problems. If you look at 2 Corinthians 12, Paul had a messenger of Satan that was afflicting him. So who did he do? Did he rebuke Satan? No, he appealed to God. And what God said, my grace is sufficient. What did, um, I I love teaching on this, and I'm going to have to cut it short because I have to go to the airport. But think about this. What is it that will shoot down Christians every time? I'll tell you the answer. Pride. Pride. In every case, 
Jesus warns about pride. Now, last time I taught, remember they're in the Mount of Transfiguration and the three disciples go up. Then you have Moses, Elijah, Jesus, and they're talking about his exodus he's about to accomplish. And when they come down, they can't get a demon out. I have this on some notes here. If we, it comes up again. And it looks like, well, what's the problem? What's the problem? And so they can't get the demon out. And he says, well, how long do I have to be with you? But in the end, what did they do? They started arguing amongst each other who's the greatest. Then later, they came back to the demons are subject to us. And what happens? Jesus said, don't rejoice in this, but rejoice that your name is in the book of life. There were people that were known to be great with demons, but their name's not in the book of life. That's like the empty house. What good is it if the demons are subject to you and you're not even saved? And he saw danger there. The danger is pride. Why did Paul appeal to God about the messenger of Satan, whatever it was? And why did God say, why, what was the answer why he still had the thorn? Yeah, in order to keep me from exalting myself because of the abundance of revelations. The one thing that will shoot us down and cause us to fail and to dishonor God is pride. And that's worse because that's the thing that you should be like God. It goes all the way back to the garden. Go ahead, Ron. So I learned a couple things when you were talking about this Josephus section about, I, I wondered, where, where, how far back does this Jewish exorcism go? Okay, Solomon. I, I never knew that. You answered that one. Good. And then something about the, the nostrils in the ring. Well, that answered another one. John Wimber. Somehow I ended up listening to some, some of John Wimber's stuff when we were affiliated with another church many years ago. I wouldn't recommend that guy. He's gone now, all of his books. But he talked about that very thing, about the, the demons and the nostrils, and this is how it works, and this is how they come out. And I wondered, where'd that come from? Well, there, there you go. It, see Way the, back. Here's, here's, let me give you the simple version, because I spent years in that sort of a group that did things like inner healing and deliverance. And then after realizing some of the same people had the same problem, I decided I'm going to have to go back to Scripture and then start researching this more carefully. Uh, man, meaning human beings, we don't have a technological problem. We have a sin problem. And we have a problem with sin because we're in Adam. In Adam, all die. In Christ, all are made alive. The sin problem happened when Eve and Adam believed the lie. You can be like God. You don't have to listen to God. He doesn't, he doesn't have your best interests in mind. What was the... Think about Cain murdering Abel. Why did that happen? Sin. Okay. Ultimately, sin is pride. I don't need God. I don't need a religion. I don't need anything. And if we do need something, it's probably technology and or Eastern religion. So there's the problem. That's, that's what shoots us down. And for the Christian, if Saul 
of Tarsus was converted by God miraculously through the Lord himself is given a thorn in the flesh, a messenger from Satan, and told that my grace is sufficient for you. And he knows now the reason for that is to keep him from exalting himself because of the abundance of his revelations. He he saw things that were not even lawful for humans to speak. But today we have people who claim experiences beyond what Paul have, and they write books about it. And I asked long ago, how is it that it was illegal for Paul to tell, but the Todd Bentleys of the world, they, they blab everything and have a big meeting. If it's not what's revealed is what we need to know. The details of the workings of Satan and demons in the ancient world were worth 50,000 pieces of silver. And according to the research I did in the last few weeks, um, to, re- reiter- to remind myself of th- things I said earlier, that would be uh, this piece of silver is like 137 days wages. This drachma, whatever it was. They were willing to give up their livelihoods, the money of the livelihood, to simply trust Christ for freedom and forgiveness of sins rather than pay for the magical arts. Today, the magical arts are being sold more prevalently than they were even in that day. Occult books are huge bestsellers. The lies that say the secret to learning how to become one with the universe. People fly over to India to learn from the gurus. The lie is everywhere. And if God can use me to help other people see what's going on, and uh, it would be a miracle, frankly, but I, I, I hope that happens. Does that make sense? Let me give the real simple version. Someone look up Acts 26, 18. And this is a, a very careful, succinct summary spoken before a secular king. Who's got it? Go ahead. Hey, I found my cursor in the meantime. Uh, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from dominion of Satan to God, and they may receive forgiveness of sins and an, an and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. That's what Jesus told Paul that Paul cited to King Agrippa. So as he preached Christ, people went from darkness to light, from the domain of darkness, is it darkness or Satan is synonymously parallel anyhow, to light, and that they may have forgiveness of sins. Is that it? Yep. And an inheritance. That word is cool to lot, the word for inheritance. Let me give you something that uh, is so precious that no one could sell it. If you trust Christ alone, 
believe the gospel and are delivered from the domain of darkness, look up Colossians 1, 13 and 14, and your sins are forgiven and you have the gift of eternal life and your name is written in the book of life, whatever might happen in this life, if it's sad, if you're poor, if people don't like you, if you lose your friends and your family, a lot of things happen. You got difficulties, sicknesses. It's nothing. It's less than nothing compared to the forgiveness of sins. Release. The word for forgiveness faces is release. So pride says, I don't need forgiveness. I don't need release. I don't need religion. I don't need Christ. It's a lie. Now, excuse me. Paul held another, I'm back on this slide. Another uh, comment, I don't always use Paul Hill, but he had some interesting uh, collaboration of this. He says this, quote, a number of magical papyri from the ancient world have been discovered. They consist, these consist of various spells that often invoke the names of foreign gods and employ various kinds of gibberish in, in the Paris collection of magical papyri, various Old Testament terms are found, such as Ayo for Yahweh, Abraham, Sabaoth, terms which would have sounded exotic to Greeks and Romans. One reads, I adjure thee by Jesus, the God of the Hebrews, similar to this. Another from the same papyrus reads, Hail God of Abraham, Hail God of Isaac, Hail God of Jacob, Jesus Christus. Now, this would have been after Christ. Holy Spirit, Son of God. In other words, the pagans thought this really does work. Christus was Latin, remember? Because of some Christus, they were, the Jews were kicked out of Rome because the Christian came and caused trouble. They would glom onto anything they thought would work best. And then there's certainly other ones, pagan gods. Who's that, Paul Hill? Who? Hill? I don't know Is about that a person? Paul Hill. Paul Hill. Oh. Pole Hill. P. It's a commentator. P O H I L L. I think it's a New American commentary. But he's. This is. You can find this in various sources in, in the ancient world that have been uncovered, especially during the 20th century when they're able to do it more excavations. And he goes on, ancient magicians were syncretists and would borrow terms from any religion that sounded sufficiently strange to be deemed effective. These Jewish exorcists of Ephesus were only plying their trade. Paul's spell in Jesus' name seemed effective for him, so they gave it a try. How many of you know that even in a secular world, people will give about anything a try if someone gives them, gives a testimonial for it. 
Actually, I gotta admit, I've done that. I, one time I had a sore wrist, so I had a magnet hung around it. I'm not claiming anything spiritual, but try putting a magnet, try doing this, try to do that, because you know, we want relief. It's not sinful to try things. You can have different things you do, but when you're trying to manipulate the spirit world, you're in trouble. Now, I wrote an article about that issue number 78, if I'm correct, about the issue number, and I told how it, the, the, the thing that fooled me more than this sort of thing was the Watchman Nee version, because he claimed if he had a passive will, the demons would control your will and then get the access to you, and then he had a whole technology as well. So the, let me give you the simplest possible version. Um, in the world of the spirits, the only way out is through faith in Christ and being under him, the Lord of glory. You have a relationship with God through Christ, forgiveness of sins, assurance of salvation, access to the throne of grace, and a family of fellow believers to meet together with and to pray and to search the scriptures and to encourage and to help one another. And in that context, a lot of things may or may not happen, but eternal life, what would a man give in return for his soul? Eternity is more important. And so don't be deceived by some technology. Let me show you what else we can learn from this. Notice in verse 13, I adjure you by the Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Uh, Notice it's not first person. They don't know Jesus. They think it's a spell or a magic name. Paul knew Christ. Remember in Acts 9? Who are, who are you? I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. Why are you persecuting me? By persecuting the church. If you don't know Jesus, the magic name Jesus won't do you any good. It was, Jesus, by the way, is an English version. What is it? Jesus in the Greek. Uh, Yeshua in Hebrew. But isn't what the name sounds like? It's a relationship with God by faith in Christ. And that's the point that Luke's making. And we go to the next slide. Oops, hold on here. Now, they, they know the people doing this. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva. By the way, there were a lot of different people called high priests, and I have material on that. But the evil spirit answered them, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? Now, why would the spirit say, Jesus, I know? Because of the divine counsel idea. The spirits can only do what God allows them to do. We, we know that from Job, um, we know that from, is it, is it first or second Kings? Where's the one in Kings? Ahab, you, you can find that. I've written about it. Um, every once in a while we see behind uh, the scene of the divine council, and ultimately whatever Satan wants to do, he has to ask God permission. Uh, Jesus, I know, and Paul, I recognize, but who are you? There's no... Uh, the demons aren't under the authority of exorcists. They do whatever they want. Here's what I wrote about in the article I wrote about this some years ago. It's like a big, 
confidence racket or con game or protection racket is a better way to say it. It's like a protection racket. When people get into that world trying to manipulate the demons, and these people, as, they, as uh, Josephus said, they speak here. The evil spirit answered it. They speak through the person. And the people uh, who interview demons to find out what's going on in the person rely on the demons to give them accurate information. So I've, there's people who say, well, the demon told me that he's, the, he's just an underling, there's a gatekeeper. And so they interview the demons till they find out the gatekeeper. And they go through this process. And they're part of a protection racket. The demons are lying on both ends of the deal. The simple version is get out of their domain and trust Christ. And don't talk to demons. They're liars. Does that shock you? Go ahead. I was going to mention, I think the passage you were thinking of is 1 Kings 22. There it is, uh, 22. Start, I was yeah, in the, starting in verse 19. Go ahead, 19. Say, tell us. Yeah, so here's Micaiah. He never had anything good to say about Ahab, but he's the true prophet in Israel. And he talks about this throne room where he sees the demons in the interaction with the angels and the Lord. It says, Micaiah said, Therefore, hear the word of the Lord. I saw the Lord sitting on his throne, and all of the host of heaven, there's the angels, standing by him on his right and on his left. So this is the divine counsel. The Lord said, Who will entice Ahab to go up and fall at Ramoth-Gilead? And one said this while another said that. Verse 21, it says, Then a spirit came forward and stood before the Lord and said, I will entice him. The Lord said to him, How? And he said, I will go out and be a deceiving spirit in the mouth of his prophets. Then he said, You are to entice him and also prevail. Go and do so. Now, therefore, behold, the Lord has put a deceiving spirit in the mouth of all of the, these prophets, and the Lord has proclaimed disaster against you. Yes. That, and I'm going to have to leave to go get my wife who turned 70 today. And um, so, and she's coming back from Cincinnati for, for a wedding. And that's worth talking about if anybody wants to discuss what Eric just read. We wouldn't know any of this had God not chosen to reveal it. And we might ask, well, why didn't he give us more information so we could do something about it? Because it's only revealed somewhat so that we don't think like the pagans and think we can do something about it. Okay? We wouldn't have known that this has to be an evil spirit. A, a, a holy angel is not going to lie. The lying spirit went and deceived Ahab because he was being judged. What about Satan appearing with the sons of God into divine counsel? Well, is Job serving you for nothing? Take everything he has and, and he'll curse you to his face. Well, we see that in Job. In the end, Job praises God, doesn't he? So how do you want to handle this? I have to go. Do you want to discuss more and then turn this off and let somebody else take it apart? No. Go ahead and okay. do whatever you want with this. Oh, I feel I feel like you've given me too much power. I've got all your notes. and <laughs> You're going to get your notes you back? No, there's no secret. I know. I just know. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks, Bob. Um, I'll be back. Yeah, Brian, go ahead. I should probably grab my Bible, too, before I go ahead. Yeah, I got it. I just put it up.
Yeah, I just put it up. I was oh, I turned it down now. while I was messing with the mic. Is it on? Yeah. Oh, okay. I think you're good. The, the divine council, a lot of people are confused. Like, it's not a democracy, okay? Right. Uh, right. God will take input, like we just saw from one kings. Yeah. But the, 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 the final determination on anything, as we see in Job, too, is God yeah. says, okay, go do it. Okay, it's not nobody's, right. nobody's taking a yay-nay vote, okay? That's right. So uh, he does take input. And then he makes the final decision. I wanted to say also yeah. that in the uh, Jewish faith, the uh, Kabbalah or Kabbalah is uh, all those things that Bob was uh, telling from the far uh, uh, past in the Jewish as far as, you know, uh, demonology and yes. so on and so forth. That's huge yes. today. Yes. And you see lots of, right off of Minnetonka Boulevard on, on Joppa, on the lakeside, there's like a square mile with like eight synagogues and ranging from all types of different teaching from Hasidic to Reformed. Yeah. And within that group, there are some that practice Kabbalah. Yeah. And, and you see a lot of Hollywood stars that claim to be Jewish, and, and they get, uh, they're, they're seeped in to this uh, uh, false... Uh, uh, Absolutely. Yeah. I think you're exactly right. I think, you know, some of the terms I was thinking of um, that we should maybe talk about is one is B'nai Elohim, the sons of God, that would be part of the divine council. One of the problems is anytime we try to interject ourselves into the divine council, that's what exorcisms are, where we try to interject ourselves. We're not invited into the divine council. God alone runs it, and we don't know what's going on there. We can't see it. Uh, yes, Scott. A little bit more? Okay. Sorry. So we, we, we do not have access to the divine council. How's that? Is that better? Okay, good. So let me show you just a couple passages that talk about this divine council. Sometimes it's called the B'nai Elohim. Other times it'll be called, uh, you'll hear the Lord of hosts. The host is a reference also to the divine council. Yes, Ron? Since you're giving some references, where was that in 1 Kings? Oh, yeah, it was 1 Kings 22. Yeah, 1 Kings 22, verse 19. Yeah, verse 19 is where Micaiah. So Micaiah was the prophet who spoke the truth, but Ahab had all these other false prophets. So when he goes to battle, he consults all the false prophets, and then he's going to go to battle with the king of Judah, and the king of Judah says, well, isn't there another prophet we should consult? And Ahab says, I'm paraphrasing, but, well, that Micaiah never really has anything good to say about me. <laughs> so Micaiah tells the truth, that's why. But that's First Kings 22. Another one is in Job. Job 1, you'll see this reference to the B'nai Elohim. We can turn there. Then what we'll do is we'll relate that to the book of Jude and we'll kind of tie maybe Bob's points together here. And Let's see, we'll go to the book of Job real quick. And I'm looking at um, Job 1.6, if you all turn there. Job 1.6, it says, Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came among them. So just stop there in verse 6. Notice that term, sons of God. That's that term, B'nai Elohim. So the B'nai would be the sons of 
And, the, you know, Elohim, of course, is God, even though it's plural. By the way, that may be one of the reasons why Elohim is in the plural, is because he is the God over his divine counsel. So sometimes those involved with the divine counsel are called gods by the Jews. Not that they're really truly creators, they're not eternal, but because they're part of the divine counsel that Yahweh oversees, that was just the terminology. Because they belong to God and his counsel, they were called that, the sons of God, the B'nai Elohim. So notice Satan was among them. And then it says, the Lord said to Satan, this is verse 7, from where did you come? Then Satan answered the Lord and said, from roaming about on the earth and walking around on it. And the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. Then Satan answered the Lord, Does Job fear God for nothing? So in other words, it's because you've given him these advantages. Verse 10, Have you not made a hedge about him and his house and all that he has on every side? So stop there. The Lord has been protecting him. The Lord was protecting him, and he hasn't allowed anything to befall him. Then he says, You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But put forth your hand now and touch all that he has. He will surely curse you to your face. Then the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has in your power, all that he has is in your power. Only do not put forth your hand on him. So Satan departed from the presence of the Lord. So do you see then, God is the one who gave permission. Think about that passage that Bob mentioned, the 2 Corinthians 12. Paul prays that that thorn in the flesh that was given to him by the messenger of Satan, that would be removed. What did God say? No, my grace is sufficient. So God runs his throne room. So the problem is, is when we're trying to do exorcisms, the problem is we're all of a sudden interceding within the throne room in the divine council. Yes, Brian. I find it interesting that God allowed Satan in the divine council after he deceived Adam and Eve, so he's still part of the divine council. Yeah. And, correct me if I'm wrong, he's part of the divine council right now. And, yes, absolutely. And, and he, and it's not till Revelation when God throws him down. Throws him down. Revelation that he's 12. finally uh, kicked out of the divine council, and that's when hell on earth comes. Well said. Um, let's talk a little bit about Satan's trajectory. Whatever, what, when everything changes is at the cross. So think about. Let's talk about Jesus for a minute. At the cross, Jesus dies, and John, remember, it's to tell us, die. It is finished. So all is finished for our atonement and our salvation. And immediately, Christ's exaltation begins. It begins very subtly. But remember, Isaiah 53, 9 predicted that because there was no deceit in his mouth, he would be buried with the wealthy. Now, you and I might say, well, big whoop. Who cares where you're buried? But to the Jews, that was a big deal. That was a sign of honor. So Christ goes through all this disgrace, the shame, humiliation, and all of a sudden, there's a little bit of exaltation. He's buried in Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. But three days later, he's raised bodily from the dead. He's really exalted. And then he ascends into the heavens where he's seated at the right hand of God. So after the cross, Christ just goes up, up, and up. But what's interesting is Satan, the allegations that he makes against us are now muted at the point of the cross. That's Paul's point in Colossians chapter 2 that the allegations that Satan has against us in the throne room, you know, Satan's got a point, we're lawbreakers, but as soon as Christ pays the debt, it's been paid in full. 
And that's the point that is made by Paul in Colossians 2, 13 through 15. So right after the cross, Satan has no allegation that he can make against us. He's still in the throne room. But then what happens is according to Revelation chapter 12, in the future day of the Lord, the 70th week of Daniel, he's going to be cast down. So he goes from heaven, now he's cast down to the earth. Well, fast forward after the Antichrist is destroyed at the end of the 70th week. Do you remember in Revelation chapter 20, what happens to Satan? Well, he and the demons are locked away for a thousand years. Well, after a thousand years, the millennial kingdom, they launch the battle of Gog and Magog. By the way, that's the same battle of Gog and Magog that I think Ezekiel is mentioning in the later chapters. I'm thinking Ezekiel 38, 39 in there. The reason why is because in the battle of Gog and Magog in Ezekiel, the battle comes upon Israel's cities that are dwelling in peace. Okay, let me ask you this. Right now, as we stand here, are Israel's cities living in peace? No, they have a whole heap of trouble. There's rockets thrown at them all the time. Are they going to be in peace during the 70th week of Daniel when there's great tribulation? No, in fact, that's the time of Jacob's trial, according to... They do have some peace, but it's not, it's not lasting. So, yep, they would say in the first three and a half years, there's, there's some relative peace, but still it's tenuous at best. There's still warfare. So here's my point. I think the battle of Gog and Magog is the same in Ezekiel as it is in Revelation. It's after the millennial kingdom. Well, what happens after the millennial kingdom is Jesus, remember, calls down fire upon the enemies surrounding Jerusalem. It's the most lopsided battle ever. He wipes them out, and then where does Satan go? He goes into the lake of fire. So for Satan, after the cross, his allegations are muted. They have no point. Then he's going to be thrown down to the earth. Then he's going to be locked away. And then he's going to be in the lake of fire forever. Yes, Laverne. During the millennial kingdom, because... We're there in our heavenly bodies, enforcing righteousness, ruling and reigning with Christ. Yes. And so while the demons are captivated, but they're released for a time so that people can make a decision about whether they want to follow Christ or Satan. Yes, um, we see that at the very end of the millennial kingdom, that there's that release of Satan who gathers all the nations against Jerusalem for the battle of Gog and Magog. Absolutely. Okay, so that's the gathering for the Magog. Yes, exactly okay. right. You got it. Yep. And they, the, the language is they come upon the great plain of the earth and they, all the nations, yeah. So, yeah, Brian. That's an interesting point you make about the Gog-Magog at the end of the millennial kingdom because, and I've never thought about it the way you just put it, but the, uh, the peace at the beginning of the tribulation, like you say, will be a relative peace yeah but the bible says it will always be a cup of trembling so there's always that in the background there's always that you know a simmering cauldron right so right exactly and just think about the only time gog and magog are mentioned i believe in the new testament is that revelation 20 passage and so to me that is directly related to that ezekiel battle absolutely but um let's look at another passage let's turn our bibles to jude and then we'll, we'll close in prayer. But in Jude, I think it's Jude 12, if I remember. Maybe Jude 9 and 10, right in there. I just want you to see the folly of the false teachers who would engage in this divination that Bob was warning about by trying to manipulate the demons. In fact, if you start in... Um, 
Let's just start in verse 6. So this is Jude 6. Remember, there's one chapter in Jude. So Jude 6, notice here, this is a rebuke by Jude of these false teachers. And he says, And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. So, so stop there for just a moment. Um, how much time do we have? Just a few minutes. Let's do a little bit of angelology and demonology. I think if we break all of God's angels into two camps, you have the good angels and you have the bad angels. The bad angels we call demons. This is my scheme. Some would take issue with it, but I would say all the bad angels are demons. Now, of those demons, a percentage of them went after women in Genesis chapter 6 called the Nephilim. And it's those in particular that are locked away in the abyss until the future judgment. Now, why can I say that? Because obviously there are some demons that Jesus is still interacting with, casting out, etc. Are you with me? So of the demons, you have two categories. You have those who are locked away because they went after women. And we have proof here in this Jude. I'll read it to you further in verse 7. But then you still have demons that didn't do that. They didn't go after women and impregnate them. They're not part of the Nephilim. They are still bothering people today. Okay? Well, then you have the good angels. So I think of angelology. All angels do the will of God, but the demons are divided into two camps, those who are locked away and those who aren't. But notice here the proof that, in fact, this Nephilim existed. They're locked away, it says, for the judgment of the great day, verse 6, verse 7, just as... So notice the comparison to Sodom and Gomorrah. What's the comparison? It's sexual immorality. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they in the same way as these, that would be these angels, indulged in gross immorality. The term immorality there is pornea. It's for where we get our term pornography, sexual immorality, and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Now, notice the comparison to the false teachers. Yet in the same way, these men also by dreaming defile the flesh and reject authority and revile angelic majesty. Stop there. Notice it's boundary crossing. So when the demons left their abode and they impregnated women, what did they do? They boundary crossed. There was a boundary that God had put in place. They crossed it. Anytime we are trying to manipulate the demons ourselves, we are going into the throne room of God and we are boundary crossing. That's the warning of these false teachers. So the, you know the saying in our vernacular, we have to stay in our lane? That's what we learn here in Jude. Stay in your lane. He says, but Michael, listen to the example, verse 9. But Michael the archangel, when he disputed with the devil and argued about the body of Moses, did not dare pronounce against him a railing judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Isn't that interesting? Michael the archangel didn't boss a fellow angel around he left that to the Lord. And yet I know when I was a Christian, I was amongst groups who would go and bind Satan and tell the demons what to do and tell people that the angels within God's divine counsel what they wanted them to do. That's the boundary crossing that we should be aware of. And that's exactly what Bob was teaching today, that what we really need, instead of bossing the angels or the demons around, is we need a domain transfer. Colossians 1, 13 through 14, praise be to God, through faith in Christ, we can be delivered from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of the beloved Son. Yes, Brian. 
if anybody's interested in this subject, that uh, Dr. Michael Heiser, uh, Unseen Realm, just lays this out really well. And then when you finish that, you can read uh, Reversing Herman. Hermone. Yes, and, and yeah. just as you say that, just to let you know, we don't endorse everything that Michael Heiser teaches, so just because, um, but we do believe he's right on the, the worldview that there are demons that they did, in fact, leave their proper abode and impregnate women in Genesis 6. Yes, Jeff, back, and we've got to get a microphone to him. Oh, first question. Um, in that passage in Genesis, it talks about the sons of God having relations with the daughter, daughters of men. Yes. And so I assume that's the same sons of God that we mentioned earlier. Yes, the Beniel, yep. Um, in, in a sense, isn't anything that a demon is doing crossing boundaries? Yeah, By, by well said. afflicting humanity? Absolutely, that, that's then, well said. And then... If there are, in a sense, guardian angels, are, are they, you know, protecting us, so to speak? Is that yeah, crossing yeah, boundaries God, also? Yeah, no, God uses angels for his purpose. I think the point is that God gets to use his divine counsel as he sees fit. But he did put a limit on these angelic, these angelic beings so that they should not intermingle physically with humans. And I think that that's the point that Jude is making, that they crossed a boundary by physically impregnating these women. And by the way, if you look at all the cultures of society, think about the Titans. They believe in even these secular cultures outside of the biblical realm that, in fact, these gods came down. They substitute maybe Mount Hermon for Mount Olympus. But it's this worldview that, yes, somehow the gods came down. It was probably a reference to these angelic beings. They're trying to explain it. Just like there's other accounts of the flood other than the Bible. We know the Bible is inspired by the Spirit and it's 100% true. The other accounts may embellish and have things wrong, but still they're trying to grapple with these things. So yeah, I do think that all the demons, as they're manipulating mankind, it's a form of boundary crossing, absolutely. The one in particular that's being rebuked, however, in the book of Jude is where they went after physically these women. And so the analogy Jude is saying is, hey, if they didn't stay in their lane, they were boundary crossing. That's exactly, he says, what these false teachers are doing by trying to enter in to their realm. So it's as if he's saying, hey, they went after our realm, but how dare these false teachers go into their realm? That's the idea. So again, we need the gospel. I'm sorry, Joy, we'll finish with you and then we'll close in um, prayer. I don't think there's any example, but maybe you would know. Um, I, first of all, as you were talking, when you started talking, I was thinking about God is the boss of the angels. He's the boss of the ones who fell as well as the ones that are still serving him willingly. Amen. But is there any example in Scripture where people got to be bosses of angels? Because I don't think there is. I, you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, we are going to be those who judge even the angels. But so, now, right, we don't, we don't, we don't exactly. boss them that's around. They have one boss, and that's God. Exactly. So, yes, yeah, so when we're put in charge of the millennial kingdom, we'll know more as to what that looks like. But for now, you're right. We're not to boundary cross. So good fitting question to ask. And let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you for our time together. I thank you for Bob and Diane on her birthday. I pray, Lord, that you'd continue to bless her and keep her, help them to have a wonderful celebration. Um, Lord, we do pray for our day as we continue to worship you and learn your word that you would help us to persevere until that day you do come for us. 
We thank you. I thank you for each brother and sister here. Be with us today in Jesus' name. Amen.